The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to read to you today from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And while you're turning to that, I want you to have this in mind, that although Jesus is addressing a first century church in a Greek culture, by the name of Ephesus, I want you in your mind to substitute Zion Church. And if there be those here from other churches, you substitute the name of your church. Because the purpose of the Bible is to address God's people regardless of the generation in which they live. You know, there are scriptures in the Bible, for example, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it may seem as if a particular prophecy or rather teaching concerning the future was not fulfilled. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 15, Paul is teaching about the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. Now someone might say, well, obviously all of those people are now dead, and yet Paul referred to those that would be alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Well, the way to understand that correctly is to think about the fact that the resurrection is the most important event as Paul looked forward, and that's the way every generation in the church is to think. This is not something that failed to come to pass, but rather this just shows that the Word of God is applicable to us regardless of what generation we're a part of. So as we go back to Revelation chapter 2, I want you to think of it that way, that this is addressing us today. Verse 1 through 5. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now here, the Lord himself commends the church at Ephesus 
in many ways. If you read through this and count in these few verses, there are nine positive things that the Lord says about the church at Ephesus. Uh, we would feel in good condition, wouldn't we, if the Lord was to say that of us. If in, I haven't counted the sentences, I believe this is just, uh, let's see, verses 1 through 3 is one sentence. And in that one sentence, he states these nine good things about the church at Ephesus. And there are some very good and important qualities. Notice this, he talks about their labor, their patience. They don't, they can't, they don't tolerate those that are uh, claimed to be apostles and are not. You've borne, you've, for my namesake, labored, and you haven't fainted. Those are some very good qualities. But in spite of all of that, he says in verse 4, nevertheless. Now that word nevertheless means in spite of what I just said. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now that should cause fear in our minds if God has something against us. You know, in our natural life, if you had a strict father and he came to you and said, Son, I have somewhat against you, that would make you know that you're in trouble. Well, the Lord is telling the church, I have somewhat against thee. Now that word, Somewhat is here a supplied word by the translators. That doesn't mean they're adding to God's word. But it just simply means they're uh, attempting to make this clearer in the way that it would be expressed in English. You know, when, when they're going from Greek to English, there are many considerations that I don't know anything about. But Brother Chris probably does. But nonetheless, if you'll notice uh, in your Bible, the word somewhat there is in italics. That shows you how honest the King James translators were. This is a supplied word. And the idea there is that when you say somewhat, it means I can't quite put my finger on it. Now that's not to say that the Lord doesn't really know what's going on. But let's say when... When your wife cooks something or makes some soup or some chili and you taste it, she wants you to see how it tastes and you say, well, something's not quite right. In other words, something needs to be added, but you're not sure what it is. That's the idea behind the word somewhat. And I believe there's a reason why that it's expressed that way. It's not that the Lord can't figure it out. But this is something that may go unnoticed to us. He says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now that's the primary concern with regard to this church. This church, which had been commended in many ways by the Lord, he now says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Lord willing, in due time, we'll try to 
explain what that means. But here's what got my attention. This church had so many good qualities, but the Lord identifies this one problem, and he says in verse 5, remember from whence thou art fallen. So whatever it means by first love, it's something they have fallen away from. There's an expression in the book of Galatians where Paul speaks to the church there and says they have fallen from grace. Now that doesn't mean that they were saved by grace and now they're not saved anymore. If that were the case, salvation wouldn't be by grace. What he's teaching there is you once embraced and believed salvation by grace, but now these Jews have persuaded you to go back under the law. You've fallen away from the truth of grace. That's the idea here. There was something commendable about you that you've fallen away from. And as we learn more about this, it's not something that happened overnight. You know, in Hebrews 2, it talks about we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have learned, lest at any time we should let them slip. And the word slip there is not like slipping down on ice. It means to slowly drift. I've used this example, and Brother Chris has used it as well. When you go to the beach, the waves are not exactly parallel to the beach. They're at a slight angle. So if you put your towel down on the sand and you go out in the water and lay on your float and relax and look up a few minutes later without realizing it, you've drifted way down the beach. That's the idea in the Bible. It's when you're moving, but you don't realize it. And that's going to be a component of what Jesus means when he says, you have left your first love. But notice this. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else. Now we use that expression a lot. Or else. Do what I say, or else. That's what the Lord's saying. He's saying, or else I will come unto thee quickly. That doesn't mean in the immediate future, but when he does come, it may transpire quickly. That's how he speaks of the second coming in this particular book. You know, the Lord says, I come quickly. That doesn't mean he's coming tomorrow. He may, but it doesn't mean he's necessarily coming tomorrow. It means it'll be a sudden intrusion when the Lord comes. But the Lord says, if you don't repent, I'm going to come quickly. And notice this. And will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, to really understand and appreciate the issue here, we need to remind ourselves of what this candlestick represents. And we need to also remind ourselves of what the seven stars in verse 1 represent. And there in verse 1, both the candlestick and the seven stars are referenced. Now the seven stars are the angels of the churches. I believe by that, since angels means messenger, 
I believe he's referring to the overseer or the pastor. He's the primary messenger. He is God's instrument through which God's word is communicated to the church. And then those seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Now, what does that mean? While we could gather together here anytime, that doesn't mean that the candlestick is here. The candlestick does one thing. It provides light. And if you're in complete darkness, you will really appreciate a candlestick. I remember watching a movie one time, and a man was in a cave, and uh, the entrance collapsed. And I've always thought how terrible that would be, to be in complete darkness and thinking there's no way out. But he just happened to have something that he could ignite uh, make, make a little uh, fire with, and he was able to see how to get out of the cave. If you're in complete darkness, you'll appreciate a candlestick. Well, notice the, the uh, picture here in verse 1. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. In other words... If God lets the preacher go, the preacher is helpless. Now we know there's a sense, according to John chapter 10, that none of us can fall out of the hand of God as far as our salvation is concerned. Jesus says, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. But here he's talking about God's providential blessings. He says, I hold the seven stars. Brother Buddy's not important. Brother Chris is not important. It's the fact that the Lord holds us. And if he lets us go, we can't do anything in terms of our work in preaching the gospel. But notice this. He says, Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. And he walketh in the midst of of the seven golden candlesticks. You see, Jesus mingles among us. And if he's not dwelling in our midst, the candlesticks will not hold a flame. They'll go out. So you see the idea here? That when the Lord dwells among us in the person of the Holy Spirit, we have light, we have revelation, we have His Word preached to us. So notice what He says, verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Okay, what is the problem? The problem is, in the words of Jesus, they have left their first love. They haven't left the doctrine. They haven't left the practice. They haven't forsaken the assembling of themselves together. They haven't stopped serving one another. They haven't become unfaithful as a result of the pressure and the persecution. 
There's just so many things that look good. But when you understand what it means about this first love, you may feel condemned like I do. That means you have left that personal, warm fellowship and communion with the Lord in your private life, as you go about your business, when you meet with God's people, you want to talk about the things of God. Alabama football is not foremost on your mind. The Word of God is foremost on your mind. That's what you're thinking about. That's what you want to talk about. Brother Chris and I have often said that one of the biggest problems today among God's people is what Jesus described in the parable of the sower as the seed that is cast among thorns. And those wild thorns and weeds choke it out or crowd it out, and he likens that to the cares of this life. Not the sins in your life, but cares. All the stuff. The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches crowd out the word. Have you ever wondered why the more conveniences we have to save time, the less time we have available? Have you ever wondered that? You know, my father was born in 1912. The year the Titanic sank. They had to get up and gather wood and build a fire in the stove. And, you know, they had to use uh, flour and whatever other ingredients they had to uh, cook biscuits. And they had to go gather eggs and cook the eggs. You know, you couldn't pick cotton all day on Pop-Tart. That didn't last very long. You ever thought, I mean, you needed a big breakfast if you were going to pick cotton all day. It was a big deal. Well, now we're convenienced to death, aren't we? You can now open what I do, an instant oatmeal package and put it in the microwave and in less than a minute I can eat breakfast. So why don't I have all this available time? They did that to save time. Oh, your smartphone will save time. You can pay your bills online. Any of you, did any of you notice that when you got a smartphone, you just had all this available time all of a sudden? I didn't. You know what happens? Satan's got us on a treadmill. The more time you save, the more other things you'll add to your schedule. Some people say, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have time to call them this morning, but I can call them on the way to work. You see, you just, you take up time that was otherwise available for praying on the way to work. Now you're making phone calls on the way to work, and that just adds more stress too, doesn't it? Now that problem's easy to identify. It may not be easy to correct. But it is easy to identify. Well, I believe the problem here at the church at Ephesus is probably right up there with that problem. But this is solely 
spiritual and often unnoticed. You know, it's easy to take pride if you're not careful. Well, I attend all the meetings. And I try to, and I hope you do too. I like what a preacher said one time. He said, I don't know where people got the the idea that when you join the church, attendance is optional. Now, I know some of you have situations. I understand that some of you uh, live further away, have health problems. I'm not getting on to anyone. You know your situation. See, I know I can be here on first and third Wednesday night. I know that. (laughs) Now, if I was 75, 80, 90 years old and had a problem with vision, the Lord knows I couldn't come. But see, I know I can be here. You know your situation. You may say, well, I'm there every time that I'm able to be there. But you can do all the right things and not be close to the Lord. You know, the first church I served, I was only 25 years old. I did everything I could think of to try to get the church's name out there in community. I preached on the radio. I wrote for three newspapers. I did a newsletter. I regularly visited the members. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if you don't take in spiritual nourishment, you won't have spiritual energy. You can do a lot of stuff. You know, even a preacher that's fully supported by the church and is not not required to have a secular job can just fill up his time with doing things. Yes, we should visit the members. There's a lot of things we need to do. But I tell you, we need to prioritize and make our central focus our personal devotion to the Lord. Prayer in the Word. And if you think it hurts to hear this, think about how much it hurts to preach it when you know you're guilty. So if you're ever tempted to say, well, Brother Buddy, Brother Chris, they're just getting on to me. We're usually getting on to ourselves more than we are you. So keep that in mind. He said, you've left your first love. Now, I think it's important that we consider the history of this church to appreciate this concept and that we might realize more how this could be us. You see, it had been approximately 40 years since this church had been established. About 40 years. Let's take a young couple. Take a couple in their mid-20s and maybe the Lord blesses them with a child. Forty years from now, they may be grandparents. In other words, their little child has now grown, more than grown. See, a couple of generations have went by. You remember the example Brother Chris gave about the king? And I don't remember the details. He can go over it with you if he so desires. But about the king in the Old Testament, he got bothered. He got offended by something. And so as a result, his son didn't go to church. And as as a result, 
His son's son didn't know anything about it. I don't know if that's exactly right, but that's the, the general idea. You see, is from one generation to the next, we start losing it. Now, they had lost a lot of people, evidently, but they had lost something. You know, the Lord blessed us with something about 10 years ago, didn't he? I don't want to lose that. I don't want to take the church for granted. You know, somebody once told me, well, Brother Buddy, you, we need to get out there and witness more. You know what? Your family is your greatest witness. Your family's devotion to the Lord is your greatest witness. And if the Lord brings you to, to bring up several children who fear the Lord and they marry someone that fears the Lord, look at what you are passing on. Look how you are helping to save the culture. You're, you're passing along the truth and there'll be more families that are good, moral, well-structured families. Now we'll only look at a little bit of this today and we'll see how the Lord leads us. But you see what the problem is, and I'm ashamed to say I already have this problem. I'll let you answer for yourself. I don't want to get like Brother Chris and start confessing everything, but, you know, I, I admit I've already got this problem. Let's go back to the book of Acts. You know, the thing about the book of Acts, it's the one book in the New Testament which is a history of the first century of the church and it's an inspired history so we know it's not shaded one way or the other. You know, if I was going to write a history of the primitive Baptist, I would paint us in a positive light. Even if I didn't want to, I probably would. You know, that's just the way we are. That's one reason you know the Bible's inspired because David probably wouldn't tell a lot about what he did. Solomon wouldn't tell a lot about what he did in his later days, but, the, but God does. Well, this is an inspired history of the church, and so we know it's true. Notice beginning in Acts chapter uh, 18 and verse 19. This is the first time, and if you can prove me wrong, that'll just, I'll feel better because I know you're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. But in Acts 18, uh, verse 19, I believe this is the first reference to Ephesus. And it's speaking of Paul, and it says, And he came to Ephesus and left them there, speaking of Aquila and Priscilla. Paul came to Ephesus and left Aquila and Priscilla there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, Aquila and Priscilla were brought with him, and they dwelt there, but evidently he alone without them went into the synagogue. I believe that's what he's saying. Now, a synagogue was simply to the Jews what the church is to us today. It, the synagogue could refer to the building or the gathering of people there. The only difference really, as far as we're concerned, is the synagogue pertained to the Jews and the church pertains to New Testament worshipers, Jew and Gentile. It's interesting that these synagogues were located in wicked cities. 
You know, there was the great goddess, Diana of the Ephesians. And notice it says in chapter 19 and verse 27, in reference to Diana, it says, All Asia and the whole world, or, or all Asia and the world, worship it. Now, I haven't worshipped her. You haven't worshipped her. It says the world did. That's a good indication when we're talking about other subjects that world doesn't always mean everybody without exception. I've never bought a little idol of Diana of the Ephesians. I have a lot of other idols, but I don't have a little statue of Diana in my house. But it says... Asia and the world worshipeth. That just simply means this was, this was a broad thing. This was common that most folks worship Diana. We could go into a lot of detail, but suffice it to say, this was an idol god that many Greeks worshipped. They had many false gods. Notice Paul went into the synagogue, a place where the Jews worshipped, and reasoned with the Jews. This is in Ephesus. There are Jews there, and Paul reasoned with them. He didn't argue with them. He didn't criticize what they believed. He reasoned with them. Verse 20, when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he considered not, but bade them farewell. Now, evidently, this was a very brief visit. I want you to see how this church developed. If your church was started by the Apostle Paul, that's, that's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? He went into the synagogue of the Jews. That's a good place to go. Because that was the true worship of God in the Old Testament. And those were the ideal people to be receptive to the gospel. They're the ones that should have been prepared to receive it. And Paul went where they were. And he says he reasoned with them. And evidently it was a very profitable thing. Because it says they desired him to tarry longer time with them. But he bade them farewell. Now, look what happens next. Verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, we're not going to talk about that subject matter, the baptism of John. I believe the Lord's given me some light on it recently, but that's not our subject. I just want you to see, Paul bade them farewell, but now this Jew, a certain Jew named Apollos, notice he was an eloquent man. He was a good speaker. He was mighty in the Scriptures. He knew the Word of God. Oh, I long to be that way more, don't you? To be mighty in the Scriptures, whether you're a man, woman, or child, it should be our desire to be mighty in the Scriptures. In other words, we know the Scriptures. We can handle the Word of God. 
That's the way Apollos was, though we'll find out he was a young man. And it says in verse 26, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, the same place Paul had been. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now I want you to think about this as it applies to the church today. Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers. And you remember that Paul worked with them sometimes. Now, here it says that uh, they took Apollos unto themselves. You see, Apollos, had he was off on something. And it regards the baptism of John. But suffice it to say, he needed some more insight. He needed some more understanding. And they, as mature, well-read, established members at the church at Ephesus, husband and wife, took a young preacher into their home and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That means more completely. In other words, it shouldn't be considered unusual that if a young, zealous preacher gets off mark, that it's not necessarily the pastor's job to persuade him. See, every member of the church ought to be able to handle the Word of God. You say, well, I'm new to the church. Well, we're to, we, you can grow, you see. That's what we're supposed to do. As newborn babes, we're to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. That should be our desire. So here... They didn't have a pastor. Oh, they had the great apostle Paul start them on the right track. But now this young, zealous preacher comes along that's off on some things. But Aquila and Priscilla, they're established. They don't run him off. They don't say, we don't believe what you preach. They take him in their home and show him the way of the Lord more perfectly. Now notice what happened. Verse 27. And when he, Apollos, was disposed to pass into Achaia, that's where Corinth was, among other churches. When he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote. This is the brethren among the Ephesians there, the brethren in the church, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples, that is the disciples in Achaia, to receive him who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace. Notice we find a pattern here that we ought to follow. And I believe we're trying to follow this pattern. Now, Brother John Morgan's not here today, but he's the one young preacher we have among us. If John Morgan was off on some things, I trust that it would be our desire to get him on track. But you see, if we had not as a church liberated him, that is, as a body said, we believe this man is sound in the faith, we would not, it would not be proper and in good order to send him to preach other places. But you see, Aquila and Priscilla said, we think he's all right. 
Apollos is on track. And it wasn't just Apollos, I mean, it wasn't just Aquila and Priscilla that said this. It says when he went to Achaia, it says the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples in Achaia to receive him who when he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So let's notice this history thus far. And there's a lot more to it that we won't be able to get to. Paul met with some disciples. And by the way, this wasn't a large group. Notice in verse 7 of chapter 9, it says, And all the men were about twelve. You know, we sometimes get discouraged. Others, just a few of us. You know, we meet here on Wednesday night sometime, and there may be about 12 of us. Well, I'm not saying this justifies small numbers, but this, this was recorded in inspired Scripture. This wasn't a mega church that was left on record. This was a group of 12 disciples left on record in the inspired Word of God for us to learn from. That's why Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Now, I've heard preachers say that when the church had been going down in members and they got down to two or three members and there wasn't any interest and they would say, fear not, little flock. That's not the time to say that. You see, we've had growth here, but still in the eyes of the religious world, we're nothing in terms of numbers. We're just a little flock. You know, I don't think I've talk to anybody in the denominational world yet whose average church membership is less than ours. I don't think I have. There were 12. But these 12 had been reasoned with by Paul. He didn't stay there very long. But then comes along this young preacher who was off on some things and Aquila and Priscilla made the difference. Somebody could have criticized him. Somebody could have ran him off. Somebody could have said, you're not sound. You see, we get into all kinds of trouble when we don't do all things with love. Apollos was won over, converted. So much so that they felt comfortable to send letters to churches in another area recommending him that they put confidence in his gift. And when he went to those other churches, he helped them much which had believed through grace. Remember it said he was mighty in the scriptures. Therefore, he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Now, we're going to stop there today. But you see how this church started? Paul started it. A young preacher comes along. A husband and wife who are members of the church make the difference in his ministry. He then is sent to another region, and he, he accomplishes much there. How is it? that this small group who only had 12 members at this time, then 40 years later, Jesus would say, if you don't repent, 
I'm going to come and remove the candlestick quickly. You see how this could apply to us? Where are we going to be in 40 years? You young people, you're going to be senior citizens in 40 years. I'm not going to be here in 40 years. Unless I'm, what, 98? I doubt if I'll be here in 40 years. You see, the church will be a a different group of people, and you children will be at a totally different place in your life. It'll be a different church. So what we do now and over the next 20 years and 30 years is going to affect whether or not we are still in our first love. Now, if we start arguing if there's jealousy in the pulpit, if somebody wants to be in charge of things, we can be assured in 40 years it won't be here. I can name you a church right now that lasted about 40 years. From the time it started to the time it closed, and I know exactly why it closed, there was strife among men and young members started saying, I don't want to go if they're just going to argue all the time. Let us pray the Lord will save us from that. And the key to it is to keep your personal devotion with the Lord strong. Humble yourselves. Pray that He'll help you subdue that old carnal man and walk in the Spirit as you are among the other members of the church. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.